I'm Steve McLeod and this is Bootstrapped, the podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies or wanting to run one. I run two bootstrapped software products, Feature Upvote, which lets your customers vote on ideas to improve your product, and Sabre Feedback, which offers a feedback widget you can add to your website. Follow along as I learn from talking to other bootstrappers and experts, and just maybe you'll learn something too. Joining me today is frequent guest co-host Ed Freifogel. Ed, it's been a while. What's been happening? Oh, well, yeah, it has been a while, man. We're in the middle of the summer. Quite busy, actually. We've got about 10 more days before head off on some summer holiday. Trying to crank through a lot of things. What have we been up to? First of all, my co-founder has been on holiday for two weeks, a well-deserved break. But that also obviously means I've been covering a lot. So in that regard, I've been quite busy. Second of all, the kids are out of school, so that keeps me busy. First off, I have some really exciting news for our listeners, and I need their help, that my talk proposal for MicroConf Europe in October has been accepted. So very excited about that. And specifically, my talk is going to be 50 tactical tips for running a stress-free SaaS. So, you know, I've been compiling my list, but if anyone out there has any suggestions and any um, tips and tricks that they have and how they run their business, let me know. I can have the list, I think. So this is also a good chance for anybody who wants to see you in real life and get an autograph and just totally. close to you to go. And that's right. It's going to be right. at MicroConf Europe in October. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I went, it's being held in Croatia again in Dubrovnik at the same hotel. It was held out two years ago. Fantastic venue. Uh, I highly, highly recommend it. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be kind of the first, I think, work trip. They have announced ever to attend, you have to be fully vaccinated, which I'm all in favor of. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a great event. You know, some other interesting speakers on the lineup as well. So, yeah. I'm slowly getting my talk together. Looking forward to hearing it. What else has been up? Well, Steve, we had some big news in the SaaS world, particularly for European companies, that Stripe Checkout finally supports the collection of VAT IDs. Like many other SaaS founders, my business uses Stripe to do credit card billing. And it's always been a big problem in that until now you couldn't enter, a customer couldn't enter the VAT ID which, you know, we, most of our customers are businesses. So you might think this is just like, oh, that's, you know, a, kind of a nice seat. No, not really, because, you know, the way digital cross-border VAT tax works is like you charge a different rate based on whether they're a business or not. And the only way to prove that they're a business is if you have their VAT ID. So it's really quite critical. So finally, that has rolled out. So that's very exciting news which means now we're going to be rolling out the switch to Stripe Checkout everywhere. Because until now, we've kind of been managing our own kind of checkout page, which behind the scenes would use the Stripe API. But, you know, it's one more thing to maintain and, and it's kind of yeah. clunky and stuff. Yeah. So, And particularly then once you get into the situation of like upgrades and downgrades and stuff, it can get messy. So that's really exciting news. And actually, we work with a couple of freelancers. And one of those freelancers, the guy who's more like the front end um, Rails guy, he has some availability in August. So hoping to make that switch in August. So Excellent. But it's more than just what Stripe have added to checkout. It's more than just collecting VAT. If you want, they'll also validate the VAT and or determine the correct tax rate that people should be paying. 
So yeah. for example, if I have a German company and I'm in Spain, I'm supposed to charge them German VAT and collect that unless they give me a VAT number. And Stripe has also added all of that in the last couple of weeks, which for me was a godsend. I've been waiting for this. Yeah, but that's, it's quite expensive, right? It is. I think, what are they adding, half a percent or something? Yeah, that's, that's too much. Um, yeah. So we have the issue, first of all, while you know many of our customers, particularly the, the smaller customers, use Stripe, we also have quite a few customers who, are, who pay us outside of Stripe. Okay, so via bank transfer, mm-hmm. which is obviously the norm, particularly in European businesses. And frankly, yeah. on the one hand, it's kind of annoying because I have to always reconcile. On the other hand, it's great because it's free. So, you know, if someone's paying you a thousand euro a month or whatever, it's kind of annoying to pay Stripe every day, to pay them 20 euro a month for that, right? So, and then if you add another half a percent on top of that. But anyway, the point is, we have to do our own kind of VAT calculations and whatever outside of that anyway. So I don't need to pay Stripe to do it again. Right. This is more just on the front end side. And particularly the key point is issues like, you know, last year or maybe over the last 18 months or whatever in Europe, we've rolled out what they call the SCA thing, this strong consumer authentication or whatever. Anyway, the point is where People can no longer just type in a credit card number. They type in the credit card number and then their bank sends them an alert on the phone and then they have to enter the PIN number from the, the bank app or whatever. Uh, so the point is, checkout gets quite complicated. Yeah, it's really complicated, far more complicated than you think. He gets halfway through, then he stops, then he goes and eat lunch, then he comes back. Yeah. And, you know, so it can get quite messy. So I'd much rather have Stripe have all that. Yeah. That's the exact reason why I was so happy to switch over the Stripe checkout as soon as they'd added this VAT calculation and collection because I didn't want to have to keep like maintaining our own system when regulations changed. Now it's all in Stripe's hands, nothing for me to worry about. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, so that's exciting. But I guess the big news is I think we last time we spoke, we were kind of in negotiations with a big enterprise customer. We had a couple who contacted us and we were kind of sending them proposals and stuff. Anyway, one of those has gone forward, contract is all signed, work has started. So yeah, that's been the big project. And I frankly kind of been racing to get that done before heading off on some holiday. So, but luckily it's all on schedule. The first invoices have gone out kind of for a setup fee. It's really good, ready. If, if that gets across the finish line, then I'm ready for a great summer. Can you tell us who the customer is? I don't think I should say exactly who the customer is. No, probably not. But basically, um, what they want is kind of a custom version of our service. So they need geocoding, lots of geocoding, like you know, tens of millions uh, requests per month. But they want their own special kind of format and level of granularity and stuff. So not just our standard off-the-shelf public service. So we've kind of been been building that for them and building lots of systems, you know, so that they can test and play with it and make sure it meets their needs and things like that. I have a question, Ed. Yeah. How do you go about working out the pricing for such a situation? Surely you're not going to do customizations for everybody who asks. If they ask, it's a big fee and or a substantial fee. How do you work this out? Yeah, it's a challenge, obviously. You know, you try to do some research about the company. You try to, first of all, just understand what it is they actually want. And then I try to think about, is this something we have already? Is this something we're going to have to build? If we build it, is it going to have a heavy ongoing maintenance burden? Or is it more just we build it once and then it should hopefully run? And and we have we have a couple of these customers like this who we do custom things for including with some really weird requirements. So, you know, just trying to understand, really get through what 
what it is they want, how complex is that going to be for us? Can we, I mean, I guess another useful question is, if we build it for this customer, will we be able to sell it potentially also to other customers? Or is it so unique and bespoke that really it's not realistic that any other customer will ever want this? Which is the case with some of our enterprise customers. And then also just the terms of the deal. It's weird because you go into it, you have some assumptions about what people want, I guess possibly based off the previous customers. And sometimes they're not correct at all. So, you know, I sent them kind of a proposal and it had a three-month kind of break clause, right? And they're like, oh no, we want much longer. We want 12 months. What's a three-month break clause? Yeah, so it's so like that they could end the contract after three months. That three-month okay. notice period, right? And oh, if, okay. if they wanted to quit, which is like the norm with our other contract. And they're like, no, no, we want much longer. We want a 12-month notice period. So, you know, that's good for us because it means that, uh, okay. you know, so... So in that, in that regard, you know, if they're willing to commit for longer, I'm willing to reduce the price a bit. But, but the fundamental way we kind of structure it is a setup fee. In this case, the setup fee is chopped up into different pieces. So Because it wasn't clear at the very beginning if we could build exactly what they wanted. So we said, first, we'll do kind of like a discovery phase where we do some research and stuff, and that has a cost. Then um, we present the results of that. If they want to go forward, then we get into the development phase. You know, we have, a, anyway, a couple different phases. And there, the price is kind of just based on days of work and things like that. And and then finally, then it enters an operational phase where it's kind of running every month. There's an invoice, which is more based on you know the volume of usage and things, uh, and how much kind of a rough prediction of how much support we'll have to offer. So yeah, my my hope and and my prediction based on our other deals is you know it's usually a very intense period setting these things up and establishing the relationship with the customer. Then when it launches, probably, you know, the first two, three months, they find little things that need to be adapted and adjusted. And we do that. But then after that, it's probably hopefully very smooth sailing. Yeah. Hopefully you'll go years at a time without hearing from them, except for when they pay the invoices. Well, I don't, you know, I, I don't let it go years at a time, but, but, you know, I, I think that's probably also unhealthy to never have contact with them, but, okay. you know, it could be quarterly or whatever. Yeah. That we, I mean, if it's just working, this is one of the challenges of our business, I would say, because people, I, I think I've, I've mentioned this analogy before, but our customers think of us the way you think about your power company, Right. Like what you want is when you flip the switch, the light should go on. The bill, when you get the bill, you should be like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, what you don't want is the guy at the electricity company calling you every day being like, is it working? Is it, you know, is the light good? You know, do you want us to turn the light up? Yeah. So that's kind of how we treat it as well. Okay. If I'm hearing correctly, once a quarter, you'll just reach out to your contact there and just say, hey, just checking in to make sure all's good. Yeah. Or in some of the other enterprise deals, Basically, there's kind of a monthly cadence of, of emails when the, when the invoice is issued because the invoice, uh, in those deals, the invoice, the amount of the invoice depends on the volume. So basically, mm -hmm. on the first of the month, we have a kind of system that kind of looks at the volume and generates it. But it gives a chance where, you know, there's a natural dialogue point. Um, yeah. So Yeah. That sounds really good, this regular contact in case, for example, your contact there is moving on. And this is just a reminder to them that, hey, they need to introduce you to the next person taking over their job and things like this. So you don't end up in this situation where you no longer have a contact there and you don't know who to reach. Well, I have had that situation. And that happens actually much more with a lot of our customers. They just come to our site and stick in a credit card and we don't have any dialogue with them. Yeah. 
And that happens not infrequently there. But with our big enterprise clients, like the people working on it now weren't even part of the company when it got set up. So we have kind of the, you know, the history of the deal and the knowledge of the deal, which is kind of funny then sometimes because then they'll be like, you know, why the hell is this like this? It makes no sense. And then I like send them the email from three years ago where they specifically asked us to do that. And I'm like, well, it's what you wanted. So, but yeah, it's important. The thing is with these big enterprise customers, when it works that well, it's fantastic, right? Because you just have a machine that's running and the customer's happy and, you know, they, you know, pay their invoice on time. And it's just like a huge foundation that you can build. The smaller SaaS clients come and go, but this is a solid foundation that you always have. Yeah. But the the risk of that is, of course, at some point, the world does change, right? And like, you know, maybe the customer doesn't need the product anymore or whatever. Or we had one of our customers, they got acquired and, you know, so they just, it didn't make sense anymore. So, you know, then it can, it can, of course, still go away. Yeah. Luckily, then, you know, normally we have the three month notice period or or a longer notice period. So at least you have some time to adapt to it. Wow, that's quite interesting. Uh, in the process of negotiating some enterprise stuff myself at the moment, and I think hearing what you're saying, we haven't put in enough time. We've given them, we've told them they can basically cancel any time they want. Yeah, I mean, yearly, but just up to days before the it's time for the yearly renewal, they can cancel. But let's say you're assessed doing $25,000 a month. It's, you know, it's quite healthy for a one or two or three person company. Yeah. And an enterprise customer is giving you one or two thousand dollars. This is this hurts when they quit. Really hurts, and this sure. creates some stress even with the thought that they might quit. It could, in some cases, it could switch you from from profitability into like actually digging into your savings if you have been using well, not, cash flow not exactly for growth. Like, you know, for for one of our customers or some of our customers, they were really insistent that they have their own infrastructure. So, I mean, we have quite a robust infrastructure that all of our customers are using mm-hmm. and we have all kinds of tools to make sure that doesn't get overloaded and everything. And But they were like, no, we want to have our own. So, And actually, they insisted mm-hmm. on having servers in AWS. We don't really use AWS at all, but they're like, our servers have to be AWS. So, you know, we're like, okay, okay fine. But so, you know, with AWS, to get a good price, you have to prepay. Yeah. So we prepay, you know, six months or a year in advance. So, you know, yeah. if I if I hit pay and then five minutes later their email trickles in saying that they cancel that would be horrible right Hmm. so in that regard i think the more custom things like that they want the more you can justify saying okay you know fine i'll do it but it has a cost in terms of commitment or a financial cost or whatever I still have quite a lot to learn about this enterprise stuff. And I hear this, uh, I guess you brought a lot of experience from your previous company with you on how to do this stuff. Some, well, my old company, our customers were large media companies. There were times it was phenomenal. Like I remember I had a meeting once with a very, very large media company. And, you know, their budget at the time was like, you know, 20,000 euro a month or whatever. So not small. Okay. Mm-hmm. They were, they were a big customer of ours and, and we could have the annual meeting. And I, you know, so my goal for the meeting was like, how do I get them from 20,000 to 30,000 or whatever? And they're just like, Oh, you know, the meeting was, was great. They're like, Oh, we love you guys. We want to make a big push. Let's, let's take the budget to 75,000. Oh, you know, and you're <laughs> like, yes, let's do that. Okay. The thing that that's kind of annoying about that is it's kind of random, you know, it was based more on, yeah. um, I mean, of course, they had to have a good opinion of us and like us and everything. So we had earned that, but like, why did they say 75 instead of 50 or whatever? You know, it just, it feels so random. 
anyway, the point is it can it can you can have big ups like that. You can also have big downs, of course. Yeah. When, yeah. And often through things that are no fault of your own. Like we had customers where I thought we provided a marketing service. So a new head of marketing shows up and they're just like, I don't want to do online marketing. I want to do print marketing. So cancel all the online marketing. Oh, you know? Yeah, the, the consulting company I ran in Australia a long time ago, that was that was a terrible thing. When somebody new comes in the company, head of IT or whatever, and just wants to make their mark. Exactly. They have a, a favorite consultant they used to use. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, I'd rather use this person. I've worked with them in the past. And suddenly, what have I done wrong? Nothing, but... Absolutely. But that's why I think there's a lot to be said for kind of the dual strategy where we do have some of these big enterprise customers and they provide like the the solidity. But then we supplement that with the small guys who hopefully, you know, if we're doing our job right, we can get more and more of them. And that it's like portfolio theory, right? The highs won't be as high, but the lows won't be as low. Right, right. Diversify. But I want to go back to the setup fee. So did you actually calculate that or estimate that this will take, say, 10 or 100 hours of time, and your time has a dollar value, you multiply them together, and that's the setup fee? Is that the basis you use for calculating it? Well, I mean, of course, I did calculate how long it would take us, but more for our own just internal estimates, because, you know, I don't want to tell them it's going to take us a week, and then the reality is it takes us a month or whatever. That's not going to work. But it's not like I sent them a detailed, like, you know, on day three, we're going to do six hours and on day four, yeah. we're going to do this thing. It's more just kind of, you know, ballpark figures. Um, you know, obviously, you try to look at, like, it needs to be enough that it makes sense for us. You know, if it's not worth our time, then it's not, you know, then we're not going to do the project. On the other hand, you don't want to set it too high or they kind of get, get, you know, they say no. So it's a negotiation. And you actually sent them an invoice for the setup fee plus maybe the first month before you started any work? The setup process had three separate steps. So like I said, discovery phase where I said, you know, so we had a first call, they contacted us. And so we had a call and I kind of learned what it is they're trying to do. And and I think we even had a second call because then, you know, kind of I digested that and went back and thought about it and, and sent them some examples or whatever, and maybe sent some, some questions. Then we had another call. And then we said, okay, this, you know, I think we can do what you want, um, but let's confirm that and we'll build like the most minimal prototype or whatever. Um, and, you know, doing that, let's say it's going to take us one week, you know, that's going to cost X. So there's a discovery phase and that has a, a fixed cost. And at the end of the discovery phase, they might say, we don't want to go forward. This doesn't look like it's going to work for us or it's not, um, or I guess in theory, we could say we don't want to go forward. Um, which which I would do, frankly, if, for example, they prove very difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have had some, we have had enterprise customers that we've kind of turned, that where I've stopped the process because I'm like, this is just a fucking nightmare dealing with you. Specifically, a very large uh, mobile company. I assume uh, you don't use those exact words when you say this is over. Yeah, you know, it's mixed because it it was just obvious they didn't really, I mean, so as an example of the things that were kind of nightmarish, you know, the first call, they ask all these questions, which are literally answered, you know, on page one of my website above the fold. They have no idea what we do. I frankly, I wasn't convinced that we were even a solution to their problem. Um, They weren't even really able to articulate their problem. Then they're like, okay, before we go further, let's do our security audit. So then that gets sent to an outsourcing company that does security audits. So that the guy at the security audit company sends me a huge 50-page questionnaire, which 
has no relevance to what our business is um, to include, you know, so, so we offer an API. That is our product, an API. Mm-hmm. The security audit asked me to confirm that, you know, the software will not be reachable via the internet. You know, and we'll be, you know, so I'm like, well, I'm <laughs> like then, so even the, I made it to the security audit, I was like, oh, this, you know, fine. Uh, it's, it's one, one day of suffering and then love your work. But then they put us onto their purchasing company, which was just like, I mean, it was, I, I, I think the CEO is Kafka himself. I, I mean, it was insane how the questions they were asking and the, the crap and the, and, but the thing is the person you're dealing with has no idea what your service is has no idea why they need it. It's just, I was told to come to an agreement with you to purchase the software. And here's our standard, you know, 72 page template and fill it in. And so given all this, and then the fact that my original contacts wouldn't, they wouldn't answer my emails, you know, it would take them two weeks or, and I was just like, at some point I was just like, guys, my life's too short. I don't want to deal with this. So anyway, coming back to our current customer, we did the discovery phase. A, we were going to be able to build what they wanted, but also B, that they were easy to work with and, mm-hmm. you know, had good questions and were, you know, they were testing it. So we built this prototype and they tested it and had had useful feedback. So then we go into the development phase. In this case, I think there were two weeks of development. So development phase one, one week and development phase two. And each one, you know, had its own, has its own invoice. But each one is also kind of the cutoff point in that they can say, you know, let's keep going or let's stop. And if they stop, then we just get paid for the work we've done so far. Should I interject here and tell you my own little enterprise story of a customer decided not to go ahead with? Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. I was recently contacted by one of the world's largest companies by a very well-known division inside that company saying they they were interested in using feature upvote. Could we get on the phone? Yeah, could we get on the phone for a demo? And actually I said no. Why? Why? Because a couple of reasons. First of all, the West Coast USA, I hope I'm not accidentally revealing who they are. So time zone's difficult from here in in Europe. So it's always a pain to sort that stuff out, but I could have done it. But I thought about this company and what they're probably going to require in terms of enterprise things, a whole bunch of stuff we don't have in place yet. So it was going to take a lot of work. But Steve, Um, let me ask, are you sure of that? Like, did they actually specify that they were going to want these things? No, I they probably didn't. would have done the call and, and at least confirmed that because maybe you don't know. Maybe they maybe they didn't want all that. But my answer was at the moment I'm not doing calls to the US due to time zone. Here's a right. link to our demo video that shows why we do things the way we do it. It's basically a polite dismissal. Although sometimes I do that polite dismissal and they go ahead and just buy our standard right. plan. So if they did go ahead, I it would change the very nature of my company. They would be a very high profile customer. And frankly, I just didn't think I wanted that yet, like maybe in the future. But right now, I want to enjoy my summer and not have to be chasing up. Yeah, I get that. But the reality is, Steve, even if they wanted to go ahead, you know, probably they're so slow moving. Yeah. That your summer would have been fine. But I, I, you know what, I probably would have done the call also just to even learn how they became aware of you. Right, right. That You know, because that could be useful for other customers. Yeah. And also, you know, like who else they're considering, things like that. The West Coast USA. So who are they benchmarking against? So they're calling it, it would have to be 9 a.m. their time and 6 p.m. my time. And frankly, that's my family time. And I I prefer to keep my family time, family time. And yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It would have been good to go ahead with the call. Just ask, like even with going in with the mindset that probably it's not going to work, at least I could learn from them about how they find out about us. 
what they're actually looking for, what they might require, uh, if they've yeah. talked to other people. But also the nature of the email, it was from a, a person high up in this organization, and the nature of the email suggested to me that they were actually looking at options, which means they were going to be contacting our competitors. And one or two of our competitors in particular has a very smooth, slick team for taking care of this type of customer. For, yeah. ex for example, user voice. I look at what happened with user voice. They got Microsoft as a customer some years ago. And not long after that, they just went enterprise only. They got rid of all their self-service. Yeah. The so that's what I mean by the very nature of the company changing. I don't think if you get one customer, you have to then cancel your small customer. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I, would have, I would have learned a bit more. I would, have, I would have suffered through the first call. And maybe all of your, all of your fears would have um, been confirmed. Yeah, you know, and uh, but I would have at least probably gone to the next stage. Just also just to learn, like I said, I, yeah, you know, who are they? Who are they benchmarking against and things like that? So of course I can't say who it is, but if I just look at what they do and the size of their customer base and the type of customer, I could just but, imagine but, that we're going to have like huge amounts of usage coming in. Yeah, but but Steve, you, I mean, you told me who it is, so. I, I agree, of course, if they use this publicly, absolutely, that would change your business. Yeah. But maybe it was they just wanted to, like an internal tool for a yeah. small team or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think you made some assumptions there, which which may well have been correct. Yeah, I did make some assumptions in having to make the decision whether to entertain them. I actually do this from time to time, particularly with some American companies, simply because the time zone is just a pain. This is where I wish I had a uh, someone working with me who could do in US sales. Because I think it would really help, and yeah. somebody who's more comfortable than me at talking to strangers on the phone too. Because I think sometimes I, I make this reasoning as an excuse because I don't actually feel comfortable talking to strangers on the on the phone in a sales context. So it's very easy for me to say like, "Oh, well, this is bad for these reasons." When actually the truth is, I yeah. just don't want to do what I feel feel uncomfortable with. Yeah. So first of all, I have some bad news for you, Steve. I think some strangers may be listening to you right now. <laughs> right right now. I know. Only friends. The only people listening to our podcast are friends I haven't met yet. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think next time I would encourage you to at least do the call because worst case, all of your fears are completely confirmed and you say, you know what, this is not the right thing for us. But yeah. you know, best case, it's not what you suspect. And I do think it is reasonable for customer to ask to have a call. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's kind of unreasonable to completely just reject it out of hand. Actually, this customer, by coincidence, that this new large enterprise customer that we have is also headquartered on the on the US West Coast. Although I think the team is remote and some of the people we're dealing with are on the US East Coast. But but anyway, um they uh usually the way I do those calls is I just do them in the evening, like, you know, ten at night or whatever. Okay. So it's after my kids have gone to sleep or whatever, and you know, I just make sure I'm not too tired or anything. I, I mean, in general, I stay up pretty late anyway. That's more my natural rhythm. But if I do it at you know ten o'clock at the night my time, it's whatever one in the afternoon their time is perfect. And you tell them like, hey, it's actually ten o'clock, so I'm well, calling from home. I, I mean, I, our, our business, our, our website makes it pretty clear we're a European business. So. Yeah, yeah. So, but I don't know. It's fine. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, okay. it's not, you know, I'm not out raging on the dance floor every night of the week, Steve. So usually <laughs> I, can I can slot in like maybe like one night. This is a good discussion in light of another potential enterprise customer we've been contacted by. Actually, they contacted me three months ago yeah. and about a standard plan and enterprise plan, what they would need for some basic things. And I answered politely. I chased up a week later and they said, oh, we're talking about internally. 
it would take some time. Time it did. They just got back in touch with me this week. It was a full three months. I think sure. I tweeted that it was two months, but then I realized we're July already. Three months with follow-up questions. Uh, they're in the US and we haven't done any phone calls. They haven't asked for them. But this type of time frame that it takes for these enterprise customers? Well, who knows? Maybe, I mean, you know, I don't judge. Who knows? Maybe the person was on holiday. Maybe they were sick. Yeah. Maybe they yeah. were, maybe they went forward with someone else and, you know, went through the discovery phase and the development phase and then decided <laughs> yeah. it's not going to work. Who knows? Yeah. It's, it's like a form of dating, something I haven't had to do a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's like what ifs and maybes and so on. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. And it's it's kind of good that our enterprise uh, sales path is kind of starting to get regularly contacted. Um, well, I would do you have a standard contract? Usually the big issue with these deals is then when it comes to the contract, do they want you to supply the contract or they want they have a contract of their own? And usually, obviously, big companies have their own contract, but that's yeah. a nightmare because then it's like every single one is different. So yeah. Um, this in this deal was quite good because I was able to supply the contract and keep it very simple and straightforward. So, nice, nice. You know, we still went back and forth on some points and things, but but nothing major. I mean, very normal and very amicable. But this stuff sucks in energy. It just sucks energy and time out of you. Things you could be doing in other parts of your business. Well, yeah, but every month when the money arrives, yeah, you fill up the bathtub with the dollar notes. Yeah. Okay. Shall we? Uh, we've, we've talked for more than half an hour, so I think we should wrap it up. All right. Let's wrap it up. I guess I'm wishing a good summer to all the listeners out there, and everyone has a good break. And in the southern hemisphere, a good winter, and in the tropics, a good whatever you have this time of year. Okay. Ed, thanks as always for an interesting discussion. Take it easy, Steve. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>